0: You're listening to a series from the Book of Mark. Come and see, believe and follow the Messiah from the Axis Church in downtown Nashville. For more audio and other resources, visit theaxischurch.org. Welcome and good morning. I'm Jeremy, one of the pastors here at the Axis and I'm glad that you're here with us. Um, Happy Mother's Day. I called my mama earlier today, went right to her voicemail. Um, I'm the middle kid so it typically happens that way. Um, She called me back and said, Oh, it's it's you. I didn't have your number programmed. (laughs) Yeah, middle kids. Um, True story. Everything I just said is 100% true. Um, And she texts me on the phone number. I don't know what happened. Anyway, um, I know that for some of you, uh, Mother's Day is heavy, and it's a hard day on the calendar. It's easy to celebrate and be glad for those who find days like this celebratory. But not everybody does. Um, There are those who dread days like this. Um, I know that some of you miss your mama because she's in heaven. My mom lost her mom when my mother was only 19. My grandma was 44 when she passed, which is how old I am this year. Um, I called her this morning. I said, Mom, she called me back. Um, she said, uh, I asked her what her first thought was when she heard mama. And she said, the color red red lipstick, red Cadillac, red dress, love the red. Um, and then I asked her, I said, Can you still hear a voice? She said, No, I can't. I said, Is there any video? She said, No, there's not. My mom lost his mom, my grandma years ago. So I know that some of y'all, it's a, it's a sad day. But I mentioned to my mom, I said sadness is the most honoring of feelings because it speaks of something love that's lost. And so I said not to be a rainy cloud on an otherwise cheerful day for you because she's surrounded by her, her grandkids. Even JJ, our oldest, is with her. He flew there to be with her this weekend. Um, but I said, you know, not to, not to put a cloud on your happy day but it's an honoring cloud on your happy day. Like it's beautiful for you to be sad for your mother. But I also know there's some here who have living mothers who are distant emotionally and relationally, and it makes days like this difficult. And some ladies among us long to be wives, brides, wives, and mothers, and it's not happened yet. I know a lot of moms uh, feel like failures, and being honored on days like this is... It's a struggle. Uh, You're too critical of yourself. You're doing a fine job. And Jesus, he never expected a perfect mother for your kids to turn out perfectly. He expected a clumsy mother to raise clumsy kids because his grace is sufficient in your weakness, okay? But also know that these days are filled with sadness and envy, jealousy, anger, and disappointment for those who... Are struggling with infertility and miscarriages after miscarriages and so days like today are really difficult you see baby dedications and you want to be up here so bad and I've been thinking about y'all for like the last four months been praying for this day for so many of y'all who I know that your story and I just know it's hard I know it's heavy <clears throat> I want you to know that we we see you and we love you and we're praying for you <clears throat> and that you would just experience God's sweet mercy and grace to be able to be sad and mourn yet still be happy for those who get to celebrate today. Most of all, <clears throat> I want you to know that God is with you and he's interested in redeeming your story regardless of how that turns out and that you're not a failure. And that you're enough, that you're not alone, and that it's not wrong for you to be sad. My hope and my prayer for you, for all of us, is that God would surprise you today on this Mother's Day 2023 with his comfort and with hope, and that we would all leave today happier and with more hope-filled hearts. In fact, in the text today, as you just heard it read... Uh, sadness and fear and anxiety is all through the text. They're emotions that Jesus carried uh, to the point of collapsing to the ground. So embrace your emotions today. Embrace all of your emotions. They're God-given, okay? Don't feel bad for feeling bad. Don't, Don't beat yourself up for feeling sad. And don't be upset if you're rejoicing today and so excited about what God's done in your life through your mother, as a mother, through your wife, through your children. But do so, embrace your emotions with your feet stabilized in the palm of your loving Father, Heavenly Father's hand, stabilized under the watchful eye of His tender care. <clears throat> Let's get to work in Mark. This is our 63rd Sunday that we've spent in this journey through the gospel of Mark. If you don't have a Mark journal, they're free for you. Jordan's back there. Adam's back there. They can give you journals if you want one. It's a copy of Mark with journaling pages every other page. Feel free to grab those right now. Uh, as we jump into Mark 14, I want you to understand the context. This is, these are the last few hours of the life of Christ before his crucifixion, okay? like hours. We're down to minutes. And the disciple who was going to betray Jesus, Judas, he's already, he's already turned Jesus into the, or he's looking to turn Jesus into the authorities and has already brokered a deal with the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees, for a time to have Jesus arrested. All right. Um, he's, Jesus himself is in, the, is in the midst of preparing himself for what lies ahead of him, as well as his disciples. That is his arrest, their denying of him, and his torture and his death. And so this is the context. So I pray that you're encouraged by the reading and preaching of God's word. Look at Mark chapter 14, verse 32. We've got some work to do. Y'all ready? Ready? All right. All of, both of us, we're ready, aren't we? All right. Verse 32. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. It's the garden at the foot of the Mount of Olives. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go pray. Sit here, I'm going to go pray. And he took with him Peter, James, and John and began to be alarmed, um, uh, excited within, emotionally excited, heightened awareness, greatly distressed, kind of like um, a panic attack, just kind of caught off guard. And he became troubled. That's another word for anxiety in the Greek, to be caught up in anxiety. Um, These three disciples, Peter, James, and John, they were the core of the 12 disciples. They were often included in more private, uh, intimate moments with Jesus. Um, The three would be included with particular teachings, particular healings, um, certain warnings and prayers, just with these three for some reason. But remember, in context, Jesus had just looked a dear friend in the eyes, a disciple who was going to betray him and turn him in. He had just washed that man's feet. He had just shared him, with him the holy meal of the Lord's communion. He'd also just warned Peter and the others of their coming denial. And in Peter's zeal, it goes in one ear and out the other. Yet Jesus was fully aware of what was about to happen to himself. He knew what was in store for him later that evening. He knew that he was the Messiah. Well, with all this pressure, this inner turmoil, uh, the, the heartache, the mental anguish, he had to get away to his sacred place. He had to get away to pray. This was his custom. I believe it's in Luke. It speaks of his. this was his custom to get away and pray. This was his rhythm. So a quick question as we get going. Where is it that you go? Like, what do you do when you need to get away? When you need to find soul rest, like peace, to become refreshed within, to get focused and gain poise, to get a sound footing within. Where do you go to find stability when your world is shaken? You, you know, you might not have identified it this way, but we all have a certain custom of when we don't feel like we have control, when things in your world aren't going your way, when things aren't turning out the way that you had planned, when you begin to question because of circumstances, do you matter, what am I worth, does anyone care? Where do you go, where do you turn? Do you go online, do you hit Amazon app to find something really quick, to have it shipped to your door in 24 hours? Do you peruse through social media? to see if you're known and appreciated and how you compare with others' responses to their post that they put out trying to see if they're important? Do you post something to get attention, to get like a quick online hit to get high emotionally? Is this when you go to pornography? Is this when you reach out to the person who you know will get in bed with you? Is this when you get angry and short with your family, demanding perfection, grasping for some sort of control in your life because your life is out of control? Or is this when you sulk and you become very quiet and distant around your friends and family, hoping they're going to increase their sympathy and you get more of their attention? Or is this when you max out your credit card, maybe get a new tattoo, maybe they drink too much, you go eat too much? What's your custom? The reformer Martin Luther said, whatever your heart clings to and confides in, that is really your God. You see, your custom says a lot about what you worship. It says a lot about your heart. It says a lot about what makes you tick within. The custom and rhythm of Jesus in soul wrenching moments, perhaps the most horrific moment that he's faced up to this point in his life, was to get away and pray. Friend, you need this custom of Jesus to become your custom. You need this holy habit to be your holy habit. You need this godly reflex to be your godly reflex. When life hits, this is how you should respond. You need this godly rhythm. This righteous rhythm to become your righteous rhythm. This is where our soul will be grounded, rooted, anchored, and made stable in the midst of all sorts of conflict and storms. This is where you find comfort in chaos. This is where you find protection and shield from soul war. This is where you have shelter from storms, grounding in the midst of turmoil and shaking. I encourage you to develop this redemptive rhythm, this Christ custom of prayer. Verse 34 He said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, very, very sad, deeply grieved, even to death. Remain here and stay alert. I want you to watch. Stay awake. What a confession from Jesus that he makes to his disciples. My heart, my soul is overwhelmingly grieved, and I feel like I'm dying as I stand here in front of you. Please pray. Watch. And going a little farther, he collapses to the ground. And he begins to pray that if it were possible, that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him, might cease, might pass away. And in this prayer, he says, Abba, Father. Abba is an endearing, intimate term for Father. Daddy, Dada, Abba, Father. All things are possible for you. Take away, far away, remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, not what I want, but what you will, what you want. Jesus prays that the hour and the cup be passed from him, removed from him far, far away. The hour is the the moments leading up to his death, the moment of his death, the arrest, the trial, the punches, the beard pulls, the beatings, the slappings, the floggings, the public humiliation, the nakedness. The nails, the thorns, the cross, the spear, the agony. If it's possible, take this away. Hey, hey, it is possible. This is po- you can take this away. All things are possible for you. Remove it. Take this away. Yet, some of your translations might say, nevertheless. Yet and nevertheless. These are some of the most powerful and important words for you to include in your prayer. God, Father, Abba, Daddy, if there's any way whatsoever that you can deal with this saving of sinners, this sin situation, besides me drinking the cup, absorbing the foaming cup of your wrath, if there's any way, do that, yet, not what I want what you want take this cup for me the cup was a common metaphor used for god's righteous wrath that goes back to the old testament the cup is to be poured out on sinners at the judgment the cup is god's wrath his almighty judgment upon sinners and sin the wrath is the just required punishment that is deserved for sin it's a matter of justice In the coming hours, Jesus will drink this cup in the place of sinners, and he's the only one who could. This cup speaks of the doctrine of propitiation. This is where Jesus becomes our wrath sponge, absorbing the wrath of God, the contents of the cup of the wrath in our place for us, drinking it dry. As Jesus considers all this, as this moment gets closer and closer, he's wrestling within, he's toiling, he's experiencing inner turmoil, mental anguish. And as a way of dealing with this, he prays and he prays the word yet. Again, yet is a powerful word for you to use in prayer because it acknowledges and embraces sound, humble theology. The word yet in prayer is amazingly robust theology because it allows us to be so honest with our desire, yet it also acknowledges us our place in the big picture and who's in control and who knows all things. So I encourage you to pray this way. Learn to include yet and nevertheless in your prayers. This is how he prayed. This is how the psalmist prays so very often. In order for Jesus and for you to pray this way, Jesus had to have trusted the Father. He he had to have submitted to the will of the Father. He had to have trusted that the Father knew what was best, and he had to be content in the Father's plan. But you can't pray yet and nevertheless and have pride. Pride gets in the way of yet because we think we know best. But Jesus trusted even the timing of all things, the prudence, the timing of all things he trusts to the Father. He submitted that to the Father knowing that that very submission meant suffering and death. Jesus serves us so well here. He provides us with a model of what to do when things look terrible of when we're experiencing grief, dread, torment, anguish. Jesus is, there's there's three ways here. One, Jesus is honest with God about his situation and his desires. In your prayer, be honest with what you want. Put it out there. Ask for the moon. Put it all out there. Pray anything that you want. Jesus does. I mean, the very climax of human history, he prays that it, be dealt with a different way. That's a pretty big ask. Pray what you want to pray. Two, Jesus submits his desires to whatever the will of the Father might be, and he trusts him through the word yet. But then three, as we're going to see in the coming passages, he includes community. He's honest with others about his grief and asks them to pray along with him. Be honest in your prayer. Submit your desires to his Control and plan and bring others into your grief and ask them to pray with you. We see this in the coming verses. Look at 37. And he came and found them sleeping and said to them, Peter, he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not stay awake? Could you not be alert? Could you not watch for one hour? Just an hour. Sleeping, asked to watch and stay awake, he walks up on, and they're snoring they're asleep. He wakes them up. Fellas, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, it's eager, but the flesh is helpless, sick. The flesh is weak. Jesus had come there to pray. Jesus showed up to this moment to do business with God, to get things off his chest, out into the open. He did the, he did this to receive comfort in his time of distress, guidance in the midst of such conflict within. He wanted this from the Father, and he's encouraging and teaching his disciples to do the same. Now I want you to take note here. The first step in you fighting temptation is to pray to not intentionally or unintentionally put yourself in the place of temptation. Pray that you not even enter into temptation. Pray that you don't drift haphazardly into temptation, not even to enter the situation of temptation. Pray this way. Pray to this end. Pray to not even enter into temptation. Pray to stay out of temptation. And if and when you find yourself in the middle of temptation, then pray to get out. Pray to stay out, and then if you're in the middle of it, pray to get out. This pray that you may not enter into temptation is very similar to the way that Jesus taught his disciples to pray in the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. In regards to this, author Paul David Tripp wrote in New Morning Mercies, his devotional, I was reading it this week, um, he penned these words. But why, Dad, can't I? All the other kids are doing it. I just don't understand why you have to say no all the time. I don't get why this is such a big deal. Can't I just do it this one time? He leaves that illustration to write. I can't tell you how many times we had this conversation. Sometimes it was a quick plea, thankfully followed by submission. At other times, it disintegrated into a major volume-raised debate. But each time, it was an instructive reminder. It's a sad but obvious fact. Sinners don't like boundaries. Sinners tend to not esteem rules. Sinners don't like to be told what to do. Sinners don't tend to love authority. Sinners tend to want to author their own moral codes. And we're all sinners, okay? So you can't even pray this prayer, lead us not into temptation, unless grace has visited you. Only powerful rescuing grace Can take you from let me do what I want to do to guard me against the temptation to do what you know is best for me not to do. As we pray this, as we pray to not even enter into temptation, there's at least four truths that are at play here for us to pray this way. Paul Tripp gives three in his devotional on that day, and I add a fourth and I paraphrase these to simplify it for myself and hopefully for you. There's four things. One, to pray this way, you have to know that God knows all things. Including what's best. God knows all things. This is known as his omniscience. God is objective, sure, true, constant, always. He knows what's best. Two, God has spoken to us the way that we should live, He's shown us the way of what's best in the Bible. God knows what's best and He graciously shares that with us in His Word. He gives us rules to live by, He gives us boundaries that we must not cross. He knows all things. He's shown us this in Scripture, what's best. And then three, a truth is I get tricked. I question boundaries. This started in the garden, remember, through temptation. Did God really mean that? I get tricked by thinking that I know better than God, that my way is good. My way is better than God's way. I get tricked into thinking that what God stated is bad, is really not that bad. I mean, it, it's pretty good sometimes. I get tricked. So he knows what's best. He shows us what's best. But we get tricked into thinking that we know better than four. And this is the one I added. I must pray for faith. Humble yourselves. Therefore, under the mighty hand of God, it takes humility. So at the proper time, he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties and troubles on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, who leads us in temptation, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith. You see, it takes faith to believe in in the moment of temptation that God knows what's best. Because, man, in the middle of temptation, I really know what's best. It takes faith to believe God in his way, especially as I'm being led away through my pleasure and my way through temptation. It takes faith in God to know and believe that he knows what's best when I'm feeling something that goes completely against what God clearly states is not good. And so this requires that I submit to God, believing that he knows what's best. This, again, is echoed in James 4. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. That's, it's humility, submission, knowing your place in the story, Submit yourselves before to God. Resist the devil. He'll flee from you. Draw near to God. He'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. He knows what's best. I think I know what's best. He knows what's best. double-mindedness. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. Friend, don't sleep on temptation because temptation never sleeps. We are to remain awake. We're to watch. Don't play around when you're being tempted. It's a serious thing. We're told to pray. But we so often can't, much like the disciples. The flesh is far too weak, but the Spirit is willing. You see, we're incapable of doing what we're supposed to be doing. We're unable to stay awake and watch and pray, for instance. And this is part of the reason why Jesus came into the world. Part of the reason that God sent Jesus, part of what God has done for us, is that after he gives us real true life, once he saves us, he sends his Spirit to change us and guide us from within. His spirit empowers us and gives us a strength that is otherwise foreign to us, incompatible with us. He has to place that within us. And he sends that Holy Spirit to comfort us, to convict us. And he leads us out of temptation into confession, into community, accountability, into repentance, into holiness and godliness. Which is not our natural way. It goes against what we feel like is best. One of the verses used this morning... In our dedications over a child, it's Proverbs 3, 5 through 8. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. You don't know what's best. Don't trust in your way. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he'll make straight your path. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Don't think that you know what's best. We're told here that we're fools, and that he's wise. Realize that. Follow his direction. It'll keep you out of so much trouble. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil and temptation. It's going to be healing for your flesh and refreshment for your bones. But what temptation does is it says that sin is going to be refreshment. That sin is going to be healing to my bones. Goes down delightful. Poisons me once it hits my gut. This is the way of temptation. Temptation. We're to pray not to enter it. Verse 39. Again, he went away and prayed saying the same words. Saying the same words over again. The agony, the, the fear, the pain, the separation from God, the wrath of God, the judgment of God. All this and much more causes Jesus to cry out again for there to be any other way for God to save sinners. That, inc- that excludes Jesus from having to receive this, this moment of torture and punishment. What agony, stress, turmoil, and pain. Do you find yourself in agony doing this? Do you pray all the more? Do you go more earnestly in your prayer? Or are you like, well, very well then. Forget all this prayer stuff. It's up to me, I guess. I'm going to worry about this. I'm going to toil with this all by myself. It reminds me of a clip from the movie The Grey starring Liam Neeson. They're being attacked by these wolves, these predators. And one by one, these hikers are killed to death. They're mauled to death. And he collects their license, their driver's license, in his wallet. And he's there, wounded. It's one of the, I think it's the concluding scene almost. And in his moment of desperation and weariness and weakness, he looks up to God. He's a very hardened man. He doesn't believe in God. He's made that clear throughout the movie. But at the end, he says, he looks up to the heavens and he says, do something. Come on, prove it. Then he offers an expletive. I'll use the word forget in its place. Forget faith. Earn it. Show me something real. I need it now, not later. I need it right now. Show me, and I'll believe you to the day I die. I swear, I'm calling on you. I'm calling on you. And he goes from this desperate looking face, humbled face, and it's like he snaps out of it and he gets hardened again. And he offers another expletive. He says, Forget faith. I'll do it myself. When things are out of control, this seems to be the way that many of us choose to go about things. When we do all the right things and get what seems to be all the wrong results, it seems this is our way forward. I'm just going to do it myself. Like White Snake, Here I Go Again I'm own. It's a good song. It gets me pumped. We try trusting God, but he seems too slow for us. I mean, we asked five minutes ago, he hasn't answered anything yet. And so we take matters in our own hands, we dismiss faith, dismiss trust, forget about the need for godly contentment. We must develop enduring prayer, earnest prayer, with much humility and trust. Learning to pray through agony, not stopping when agony hits. This is the prayer way of Christ. Clarity of the reality of all that's about to take place is laying heavy on Jesus. His time has come. Anxious to the point of death, crushed by grief, so much so that he collapses. His agony, it's so intense, he collapses to the earth that he created. Exhausted, burdened, weary, anxious, overwhelmed. Friend, if you ever need an example of Jesus being fully human and knowing what it feels like to be you. Look right here, Mark chapter 14. And who better to talk to than one who's been there before? Who can better comfort than one who's been through it? Man, when I see Jesus in the garden here, toiling, being troubled, surrounded by heaviness, crushed by grief, my soul gets heavy. But it's also encouraged. Hebrews 4 speaks of this. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every single respect has been tempted as we yet without sin. If you're overwhelmed, know that Jesus knows what that feels like. Another way of thinking about this, your anxiety is not a foreign concept to Jesus. He doesn't have to use his imagination or think in the theoretical to feel what you're experiencing. He knows. He gets it. Romans 8.34 tells us that Jesus is currently right now before God, with God, interceding and praying for us in prayer the whole time, knowing not only what you're going through, but what your worst nightmare is and what that even feels like. And he's praying for you with all that in his mind, and his heart. Be encouraged for how Jesus constantly and always is aware of you, praying for you, knowing what your burden feels like. Verse 40, and again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy, very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. Even after these warnings, the disciples could not help themselves. No excuse seems valid. We're asleep. The hour, or under the time, and he came the third time and said to them, are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It's enough. It's, uh, another, this is used in a term of like uh, exchanging money for, for something. Uh, it's paid in full. It's like this the time is now. The wait is over. The hour has come. The Son of Man is handed over and betrayed into the hand of sinners. Rise. Let us be going. Look, my betrayer is here. Jesus knew this was going to happen. He's ready. He's poised. There's no staggering his step, there's no retreat in his mind right here. He fully embraces this moment. Embracing the yet and the nevertheless, he moves forward. There's no other way than the cross for Jesus. He's fully prepared. Hebrews chapter 12 speaks of this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with, uh, run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, not your spouse, not your money, not your house, not your comfort, not what you don't have, not what somebody else has that you want, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. (laughs) That doesn't make sense. Despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider Jesus, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you might not grow weary or faint-hearted. Look at him. I mean, in your struggle against sin... You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood, which Jesus, by the way, sweated like what seemed to be drops of blood there in the garden. And have you forgotten the exhortation that he addresses you as sons and daughters? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves. He chastises every son, child, daughter whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as children, as family, as sons, as daughters. I mean, what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which we've all participated, then you're illegitimate children. You're bastards and not sons. If you're left without discipline, if you're left without suffering, if you're left without this, be concerned. You're not family. If you're experiencing this, be encouraged. Your family. And besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we might share in his holiness. For the moment, I get it, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it, who submit to it and embrace it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands. Come on, chin up, chest out. Strengthen your weak knees. Make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed and strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. My friend, Christian friends in the room, when you're overwhelmed and you don't know if you're going to make it, when you're anxious, when you're afraid, when you're confused, When you're lacking clarity in a decision in life, when you're losing focus, when you're feeling frustrated, when you feel like quitting and giving up, know that Jesus knows what this feels like and know that you can make your custom calling upon the Lord for comfort and know that God is not distant in moments of pain and heartache, but know in the midst of your conflict that he's more like a focused surgeon, very focused in your moment of suffering and anxiety, and feeling overwhelmed. He's got his full attention, and he's working deep within you. His spirit is with you. His spirit is part of you, and he's identified as the great comforter. So weary Christian, lift your chin today. Lift up your soul to the Lord. Raise your hands in humble submission to God, in trustful praise, and by faith, choosing to make time with Jesus your custom. Look not at the circumstances around you that you're walking through right now. Look not at your past failures and don't look forward at your overly romanticized successes. But look forward by faith through what St. John of the Cross called the dark night of the soul that many of you are walking through. Look onward by grace, squinting if you have to the eyes of your soul as you look trying to find the cross. And you go onward. You go crossward. This is the way. Amen. Amen. Now as we prepare our hearts to receive communion this morning let's consider the broken bread and the wine. These elements, focus with me. Don't move on to communion yet. These elements are to remind us of the body of Jesus Christ and the blood of Jesus. They are indeed his body and his blood. These elements present us with a very vivid reminder of what Jesus was toiling over As he became emotionally crushed by grief and anxiety, collapsing to the ground, falling on his face in the garden, he was not simply afraid of dying physically. Jesus knew that on the cross, not only would he suffer physically and die, but he would receive the full cup of God's just wrath that we deserve for our sin on the cross. Jesus was punished by God in your place. On the cross, God rejected Jesus so that you could be accepted and loved by God. This was the terrifying reality that crushed Jesus emotionally in the garden, being separated from him. And this shows you just how much Jesus loves you and how much God loves you. So as we come to the Lord's table and share in communion... And remember God's love for us through the cross. We can rejoice because Jesus has taken the full cup of the wrath of God no longer for us to fear. And we can receive the cup of Christ's blood that cleanses us from every sin and makes us acceptable and righteous in God's sight. All this hope is only ours because Jesus willingly embraced all that he did in his life, in the garden, with the grief, the beatings, and the death on the cross. And yet he was victorious over death. And this is what we remember and focus on in communion. So during this time, I hope and pray that you're thinking and that you're confessing your sins to God and that you may see and experience the steadfast love and faithfulness of the Lord. So Christian, you remind yourself of a gospel truth this morning. We're gonna have servers on either side of the stage, self-serve stations in the back. You're gonna come and you're gonna take the bread, you're gonna dip it into the juice of the wine. As you grab that bread, remember the body of Christ the life that he lived perfectly as your representative. As you dip it into the juice or the wine, watch it sponge up the red liquid as our propitiation, absorbing the very wrath of God out of the cup as he suffered as our substitute so that you don't have to. Let's pray together. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. And we proclaim the mystery of the faith that Christ has come, he's lived, he's died, he's risen, and indeed he's coming again. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now may the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be on this time of remembering, this time of communion, this time of worship, and remain with us always, even through the end of the age. Amen. Amen. Christian, when you're ready, I invite you to come and take and worship Jesus. You can come when you're ready. You've been listening to a sermon from the Axis Church in downtown Nashville. For more information, please visit theaxischurch.org.